How about now? All right, sounds good to me. Good evening. Um, as for you to, to bear with me, I'm kind of losing my voice, so hopefully that doesn't distract from, from the message tonight. But tonight, I want to ask you, what's on your mind this evening as you sit here? Is there something troubling you tonight? Are you missing someone? Maybe someone who's passed on. Maybe someone who's been gone for an ex- extended amount of time. Maybe someone who's left the faith. Um, is there hurt in your life? Are you having trouble forgiving someone for wrongs that have been done? Are you having trouble forgiving yourself for mistakes that you've committed, sins you've committed in the past? Is there sin in your life currently that you need to get rid of? Are you hurting physically? Are you hurting emotionally? Are you hurting spiritually? If you answer yes to any of these questions tonight, then I'm glad you're here because this lesson is for you. And if you answered no to all of these questions, then I'm glad you're here tonight because this lesson is for you as well. The fact is, if you're not currently going through a broken situation where you feel broken, then eventually you're going to go through something where that's the case. And if you're in that situation right now, well, we got to figure out what it's going to take to pull you out of that situation. And if you're not yet in one of those situations, then we have to prepare ourselves for when that's us, how to get out of that situation. So I want to take a moment tonight to say welcome. Um, It's great to see everyone once again and to continue our worship this evening. This is the best way that we could start our week. And what an encouraging way. And if you're here tonight and you are broken, look around. This room is filled with so many people that love you, that are encouraged by you being here, whatever that situation is. And it's amazing that we have that ability because we care about your soul. Um, and, And God loves you and cares about your soul as well. But the fact is we live in a world that is broken. Some of these things we can control. It's, it's mistakes of our own that make us broken. And sometimes it's things that are just not in our control whatsoever. There are active wars in other nations. There's death of soldiers and civilians. There's an active attack on marriage. Divorce rates are up through the roof. And George gave a, a sermon a few weeks ago of how important marriage is to society. And a great lesson. There's sickness, there's death, there's a global pandemic, there's social media debates, there's hatred that's displayed among Christians on social media, which is one of the easiest ways for non-Christians to look and say, all of them are hypocrites. Hypocrites, I don't want anything to do with that because they are hypocrites. We live in a broken world full of broken people. But church, there's there's times when it's okay to feel broken. But the fact is, we cannot stay broken. We must find a way to to have ourselves mended or to mend the brokenness in other people. But also, don't think that because you are feeling or fighting the brokenness of this world, don't think that if there's brokenness in your life, that you're not a productive and valued member Because that is not the case. You are loved and you are valuable. And we care 
about each and every one of you. And God, more importantly, cares and loves each and every one of you. I promise if you look at yourself hard enough, you're going to find something that's broken. And when something is broken, you have four choices. Number one, you can do nothing. You can take kind of the, the check engine light approach. And, ah, oh, my check engine light's on, but hopefully if I push it off far enough, it, it'll go away. Or if my car is making that funny noise, I'll just turn up the radio and hopefully next time I turn it on, it doesn't make that noise anymore. That's probably not the best approach. Number two, you can try and, and as fast as you can clean the mess up before anybody else figures out that you've got issues uh, because, you know, if nobody else knows, then it's not really an issue, is it? Or you can, number three, fix it yourself. I'm an expert in everything, right? I'm strong. I know what I'm doing. I, I got myself in that situation. I'll get myself out of it, right? Or number four, do you go to an expert that knows a whole lot more than you do? I'll tell you a story. So when I was probably around 10 years old or so, me and one of my buddies after church, we decided that, you know, it was baseball season and that we were going to brush up on our baseball skills because, I mean, we, we were both going to be just like Derek Jeter. He, he, was a, he was a New York Yankee and we didn't really like that about him, but Derek Jeter was the man, especially back in that day. He was awesome. And so in the church parking lot, there was an electric line going across the parking lot, probably 10 or 12 feet off the ground, maybe a little higher. But, but now, you know, it's, it's something that I could easily toss a ball over, probably underhanded. But when we were 10, we had to rear back and as hard as we could throw that ball over or hit that ball over. Because if you hit it over that line, it was a home run. Or during football season, if you kicked the ball over that line, it was a field goal. And so me and one of my buddies one night, we were... We were playing catch with the baseball, and he all of a sudden rears back and chunks that ball as hard and far as he can, but unfortunately, it was probably the worst throw I've ever seen in my entire life, and it lands right on the back window of a, I don't know, early 90s uh, Ford Taurus. It was a green car. I'll never forget it. So these two 10 around there year old boys, what do you do? You just shattered the back window of this lady's car at church. What do we do? So we're running through these situations. Do we do nothing? Maybe they won't see it. Maybe they won't notice. Maybe, maybe we can clean it up because if there's no, no shards of glass there, then it's not broken, right? How'd that work out? Or could we, could we fix it alone? Could we glue it together? Our 10-year-old boy's gonna fix a window by themselves. Or did we have to go and fess up and get help from someone that knew a lot more than we knew. So we had to go in. There's a whole group of people visiting after church was over and take responsibility for what we had done and get help to not only clean up the mess, but also later on to, to get that window repaired. And now 15 years later or so, it's still, still a lesson. But I want us to understand that just because the window in that car was broken doesn't mean you just throw the whole car, whole car away. It still has a lot of life left. It can still be fixed. And I want you to understand that you can too. If there's brokenness in your life, you can fix that <clears throat> brokenness. So let's look at the biblical outcomes of, of the four different options that we have when dealing with brokenness. 
The first one being doing nothing. Naturally, this is going to be the easiest option in the moment. So turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. Starting in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written by the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So with all of Jesus' parables, um, each time you read through them, there, there's a different focus point that you can look at. There's a different lesson that, that is being taught when these just complex and beautiful stories. So tonight, I want to focus on the priest and the Levite. What do they contribute to this story? Absolutely nothing, right? They did nothing. And in that moment, it was definitely the easiest thing to do, right? There's a guy laying half dead in the ditch. He's been beaten up. He's probably bloody. They stripped him down, so he's probably not wearing any clothes. And he probably smells terrible. So if you stop to help him, you're probably going to get dirty. If you put him on your own animal, he's going to get your animal dirty. You're going to have to change your plans. And there's nothing about helping this man that's going to be fun. And no matter what we're talking about, if we're working to fix our own brokenness or help fix someone else's brokenness, it's not going to be fun. It's going to require a willingness to change. In this story, the Samaritan had to change his plans, right? It's going to require that we don't, or that we have some not so fun conversations probably. If we're holding one of our brothers or our sisters accountable for a mistake that they've made. That's not a fun conversation. It's going to require continuous effort. Notice that the Samaritan didn't just pick this man up out of the ditch and kind of dust him off and kind of wipe a little bit of blood off and wrinkle his hair and say, good boy, you're you're on your way. Have a great day. Good to see you. That's not what he did. 
He spent time, gave of his own finances, and in verse 35, took care of him. He worked to take this man and to fix his brokenness. And notice in verse 37 how Jesus ends this parable. He says, you go and do likewise. Church, there is, when there is brokenness in our own lives or in the lives of others, we cannot just pass by and do nothing. We can't let that check engine light go on forever because our car is going to eventually break down because there's something wrong, right? We can't just turn that radio up even a little bit farther because that noise, it's not supposed to happen. It's going to get worse. It's not just going to make it go away. It's going to continue to grow and consume you until you have nothing left. So mending something requires that we put our faith to work. Turn with me to James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things, that they, the, the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Have you ever been in a situation, and I'm stepping on my own toes here, where, you know, somebody's telling you something that they're struggling with or, or hurt that they have in their lives. And you say, oh, I will, I will definitely be praying for you about that. And then you go and you go on about your life and you probably even forget about that conversation and you never once mention that person or that situation in your prayers. Sometimes we use that phrase of saying, I'll, I'll be praying for you um, so, so that that conversation can, can stop there because I don't want to get you any closer you're, uh, you're letting your problems on me. And I, see, I was having a good day until you, until you showed up here, right? We're, we're kind of guilty of that sometimes, right? And I'm not really good at comforting people. And I, w- I want to be, and I, I, need, I know that I need to work on it. But sometimes it's just an awkward conversation, isn't it? And so we use that phrase, oh, I'll be praying about that, to hopefully just move that person on. Isn't that Right? You know, I I don't want you to hear this as that I'm discounting the power of prayer by any means. But what I am saying is that prayer straight from the heart, backed with a genuine effort to show this person love and treating them like Jesus would have treated them is a million times better and a million times more meaningful than an empty promise that just gets you out of an awkward situation and back on your, your own road, on your own trip. Let's turn this back on on ourselves as well. There must be a willingness for ourselves to make a change when we're broken because we know the ways in which we are broken. There must be a desire to be mended. So let's recap on on option one, and that is to do not just do nothing. So moving on to option number two, cleaning the mess as fast as we can. If nobody else sees it, it's not a problem, right? If I'm the only one that knows about it, then we're okay, right? Probably not right. Can you think about someone in the Bible that tried to to hide something, that tried to clean up 
a mess before this mistake was found out. My mind goes to David. The, the, the scenario, I guess you could call it, with Bathsheba. So turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. So we're not going to read this entire story. We're going to hit some of the, the high points here. So in the, the first part, verses 2 through 5, uh, what happens here is David, he sees this woman bathing as he's kind of looking out from a rooftop. And he thinks, that's a beautiful woman. I'm going to call her up. Um, and so then he lays with her and she conceives his child. So obviously, really terrible start to, to the story uh, right off the bat. Then moving forward, after he realizes, okay, well, I've really made a mistake, um, he calls this woman's husband. His name is Uriah, um, who is currently in war. So he's thinking, you know, I can cover this situation up. I'll bring her husband back, um, and it'll look just, it'll be all natural, and I won't have anything to do with this, right? A cover-up. But the problem is, Uriah, out of respect for his comrades, won't, won't go into the house with his wife. And so David tries again. He gets Uriah drunk in order to, to make what he wants to happen, happen. And that still doesn't work. So David takes matters into his own hands and puts him on the front, li- front line of war. Uh, basically um, sending out uh, his death pretty much. And so then that plan works, that part of the plan works because Uriah is killed um, in, in the battle. And so after that, Bathsheba is grieving and David takes her as his wife and she bears him a son. But church, we need to understand from this story that hiding things can lead to serious consequences later on down the line. Talk about a truly broken situation. In, in, in one act, David commits adultery, he lies, he commits murder, he's living in sin, hiding that sin. And that, then he tries to cover all of this up. He thinks, you know what? This is the perfect plan. I can clean this up as fast as I can. Nobody's going to know. It doesn't work out that way. So turn over to chapter 12. Oh, sorry, I got, got ahead of myself there. Chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, uh, verses 9 through 15. 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting in verse 9. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. So that's consequence number one. Because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife, thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. There's consequence number two. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, 
The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. So the the consequences here, the sword will never depart from the house of David. The Lord will raise up evil from the house of David. He's going to give give David's wives to his neighbors. And the child dies. Talk about some serious consequences. All, All of this because of brokenness. And trying to fix brokenness in a way that covers it up so you don't have to face what you have done. Church, no matter the brokenness in our lives, whether it's something that we brought upon ourselves, like David did here, or if it's something that's completely out of our control, that we have no part in, that just happens, physical brokenness, emotional brokenness, spiritual brokenness, doing nothing about it or trying to clean it up and hide it will do nothing but bring on worse consequences down the line. Even if it's something that we have no control over, we have to do something about it. And we cannot try to clean it up and push it aside and hide it. So moving to our third option, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Our, Our third option, remember, is I got this. I'll, I'll take care of it myself. I'll clean it up by myself. I don't need anybody else, right? So this third option is going to require some humility from us, right? So turn to Luke chapter 15. <clears throat> Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. And he said, this is Jesus here speaking. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when, it, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him or who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
and they began to celebrate. So basically, here the, the son tells his father, I don't need you anymore. Give me all you're going to give me in my inheritance. I, I don't need you. I'm going to go and I'm going to have fun. I'm going to do this on my own. And have you ever been this broken where you longed to have what the pigs had? When all of a sudden the pig slop doesn't look too bad. I would say that physically this is probably one of the lowest of the lows that you can get. You've abandoned your family that obviously loves you. You've lived recklessly, which was probably, from an earthly standpoint, really awesome for, for a little while. And then you end up with the pigs. Church, there's going to be times in our lives, sometimes caused by our own sin and selfishness. Just like shown here. And maybe it's from things that we cannot control. They both wind up hurting equally bad when we join the pigs. But how beautiful is it that even on our lowest lows and in our brokest moments of our lives that our Father is waiting on us with open arms. And praise God for that. This gets us into option number four. Get fixed by someone who knows a lot more than I do. Turn with me to Job chapter 38. Job chapter 38. We'll be starting in verse 1 of this reading. So this is the Lord um, answering back uh, to Job. Um, and if you haven't read the story of Job, um, I encourage you to, to do so. So this is the Lord uh, speaking. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb. When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken." Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. God really puts into expective how much that I know, doesn't he? 
How much more he knows than I know. And what better way to let myself be mended from the brokenness of this world than lay my life at the mercy of the creator. Praise God that he is the one who laid the foundation of the earth and that it wasn't Ethan Fulton laying the foundation of the earth. Because if God can do that, imagine what he can do with the brokenness of our lives. If God can shut the sea with doors, think of how easily he can help you through your battles. Church, the hardest part about this is that we have to humble ourselves and come to him. We have to be willing to help mend ourselves, but also to get out of the way, to take myself out of the equation and let God work through us and let God work in us. That does not mean that we sit back and do nothing. That doesn't mean that we try to hide the mess from God and the people around us that love us so much. That doesn't mean that we take matters into our own hands because it's evident that he knows a lot more than I know. We must, be, we must come home because our father is waiting to greet us with open arms. He's waiting for you. Because he can mend the broken. He's already proved that. He can heal the wounded. He can rescue those who are desperate. He can fill those that are empty. And he has pardoned those who are guilty by his blood. Because that victory, that victory has already been won. And church, you know the ways in which you are broken. And we have to learn how to quit pulling at the seams that have been stitched. Ten-year-old Ethan had to learn to stop playing baseball in the parking lot. He had to learn that that window, it couldn't just stay broken. He had to do something as humiliating as it was. He had to learn that he couldn't just hide that mess. He had to learn that the consequences would be worse if he tried to do that. Him and his ten-year-old friend had to come and confess what they'd done. And to say, I'm here, this is what we've done, this is how we've messed up. We're ready for the consequences, but we're ready to move forward. In John chapter 8, Jesus tells a woman who's caught in the act of adultery. He says, go and now sin no more. And church, we are broken people, but we have to learn how to rid our lives of sin. Because when we are broken, the last thing that we need to do is to continue to break ourselves even more. We have to stop flirting with, with sin. We have to be like Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. And when Potiphar's wife makes advances on him, he turns and runs. We have to be like that when sin enters our vision. We've got to stop playing baseball in the parking lot. Is it really as simple as go from now on and sin no more? But church, we have to understand that if we seek God continually in the way that he commands us to seek him, in the way that he deserves us to seek him, there is no room for sin in our lives. I encourage each and every one of you, come to the creator to be mended. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to come home. His arms are wide open and waiting for you. You have a church family here that loves you so much and we are so ready to rejoice and celebrate for those who are coming home because they are broken. Make that decision right now. Stop letting yourself be broken broken more than it needs to be. 
Come to him to be mended forever. If you have a desire to be baptized tonight, to join that family of God, don't put it off any longer. If you're dealing with brokenness in your life, don't put that off any longer. This is your chance to come forward. Come physically to the front for the chance to be baptized, for the chance to have prayers or whatever need that is. It's time to come home, church. If there are any needs, whatever they are, come now as we stand and as we sing.